Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. Modern Homemakers is formerly Homemakers by Choice. We've been around for a few decades now. Our goal remains consistent, and that is to encourage you. In predominantly the main areas of where most women live, no matter where you live in this world, no matter how old you are, no matter how many children you have or don't have, we are women we are wives, we are mothers, we are homemakers. I've often told the story of my dear grandmother who died in her late 80s. And even until the day she died, she was still homemaking, caring for a room in my mother's home where she lived. So we want to continue to encourage you. This is a time of preparation for Easter, often called Lent, which just means springtime. And as we march off into these 40 days of time together in preparation for that great celebration called Easter morning, I want us to continue looking for ways to confess, to examine, to repent, to give the 75 celebration, giving 75 somethings to someone, someone in your world, modeling the Matthew passage to do it in privacy to do it in a way that brings glory to God and not to yourself. But we're taking my 75th birthday as an opportunity to celebrate. Maybe it's 75 cookies to the school, or maybe it's 75 days of doing the same thing every day, no matter what. See if you can do it. And if the net result would be to bless someone else. Um, there's an opportunity to give, certainly financially give, something to someone in your neighborhood, in your community, your church perhaps. So we've been talking about this Lenten time, and when we were together last, we talked about the muddy waters of the Jordan and how Jesus expressed his solidarity with us, proving again, showing us again, reminding us again that he had come from heaven, a member of the Trinity, to become one of us. And this he did even to the waters of baptism by John the Baptist. Well, I want to talk about changes that heal us, because change does heal us. When we look at something in our world openly and candidly, when we can say, this is not on the mark, I know there's a better way, I know I can ask Christ for a new way to form me. When we get in that mode of change, we are submitting ourselves to an understanding um, of Christ who can infiltrate us and give us the properties we need to make change. In the book of John, which is my favorite gospel, always will be, in verse 14 of the first chapter, it says, and the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. G and T. 
Uh, yeah, I, I said G&T to myself for a very long period of time because I truly and honestly did not know how to join them. I understood grace, I thought. I understood truth, I thought. But I couldn't merge them. And I think this is one of the reasons why we have a hard time making changes, because we fall into one genre or another. We're grace-based people. You heard anybody say that? I'm a grace-based, or have you heard someone say, you're not a grace-based person? You, do you know the difference? Do you know what a grace-based person looks like? Do you understand the grace of which we live our lives? What does grace mean? Well, here's the traditional definition, unmerited favor or unearned favor with God. I, I couldn't get it. I had a really hard time understanding grace. I had a hard time understanding that God had that much love. And as you might imagine, knowing me at all, if you've been around here at all, you've come to know that I have a much easier time with the truth. The truth will set you free, right? And if the truth was going to set me free, what, what about all this grace? And quoting Paul, who says, perish the thought that we should have so much grace that we say, it's okay if I do that, because tomorrow I can ask for forgiveness. You've heard the line, it's better to go ahead and do it and ask for forgiveness tomorrow than not do it at all. Well, that's not at all what Christ means when he talks to us about grace and truth. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. And it is in God's love, in his abundance of love, his favor toward me, that gives me this unconditional love and acceptance. I didn't get it. I just didn't get it. I don't know how long ago I finally got it. God is the source and the model of this kind of love and acceptance. Grace is seen predominantly in acts of compassion and in relationships. Because God's grace that he favors us with calls me to have a relationship with him. Now, it says in the passage I read in John chapter 1, verse 14, full of grace and truth. Well, how do grace and truth come together? What is truth? Well, truth is what you do, what you don't do. It's foundational. Truth can mean uh, the absence of doing something. In the garden, Adam and Eve were both united without grace. They were united without grace. There was no need for grace in the garden because it was perfect until they lost relationship with God by doing what God had asked them not to do. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been in the garden somewhere and you can have all of it except this one thing and yet this one thing is the one thing you want. And so they took it. And immediately there was shame. There was shame. They had to cover themselves with leaves because that's all they had. And then God the Father himself, who finds them, says, here. And he provides them 
with the skin of an animal to cover themselves. And here we are in the same state today. So the truth will set us free. But it is the unearned favor of God, grace, that allows us to be released from shame, from the shame of the truth of the place we live. Now, I'm going to thumb through some pages in my Bible as I read a few isolated passages to you to confirm the places in the scripture that speak to us about this grace and truth and the change that heals us. Romans chapter 3 verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And then in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. But law came in with the result that the trespass multiplied. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Did you hear that? Where your sin increases, when you are weak and woefully unable, inept, grace abounds all the more. And then flipping over to Paul's epistle in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. And I remember dear K. Arthur saying to me, here's how you remember which one comes first. Um, General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Thanks, K., wherever you are on this great day. Galatians chapter 5 verse 4. You who want to be justified by the law have cut yourselves off from Christ, for you have fallen away from grace. So the scripture reminds us not only in John, but all through the New Testament that grace and truth, grace and the law, they come together and that we, the law brings us uh, understanding of our sinful patterns. It, it reminds us of the death of the relationship we have with God when we break the laws. But truth without grace is deadly. So grace without truth can be called license. Deadly or license. We're not called to either one of those. We are called to both of them. Grace and truth united invite me out of an isolation place into a relationship. Grace invites the true me, just as I am, safe from the condemnation of the truth, real in intimacy with God, accompanied by truth. Now, that's a huge, a huge truth to grasp and to hold. But it is a place of safety. It is a place of intimacy. Back to the book of John, chapter 8, verses 3 through 11. And this is a passage of scripture which is quite familiar to us. And it's about the woman who the scribes and Pharisees bring because she's been caught in adultery. And they make her stand before all of them. And they say to Jesus... Teacher, this woman was caught 
in the very act of committing adultery. Aren't they pompous? Now, in the law of Moses' commandment, we are to stone such a woman. Now, Jesus, what do you say? They were all trick questions when it came to Jesus, weren't they? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and he wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. As Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, sin no more. There was a safety and an intimacy in the grace that God was offering. She felt an immediate acceptance and love from, from him. It is the definition of God's favor to us. It is the definition of grace. No one stoned her. No one stoned her. He writes in the sand, and no one is willing to even say there's a condemnation toward her. This real self, this healing of relationships that happens when we accept the safetyness of grace and the intimacy of grace and the direction of truth. Now, when, when I, I often think of this in my relationship with my husband. We've been married many decades now, but hey, we're human, and he can tick me off, and I can tick him off. But there's this thing that happens when the ticking off each other happens, and there's a, a, a distance, whatever the distance, how deep it is, how wide it is, how long it is in our life, it doesn't last very long. Sometimes we laugh right straight, straight through it. And I know you've heard me tell this story, but years ago when my father-in-law was living with us, and it had been a hellaciously hard day with my father-in-law who was uh, in advanced stages of dementia, my sister-in-law had been at the house all day, I was still in my gown at 5 o'clock at night, and my husband was just beginning to read the morning paper. And I was furious. I was just, <gasps> and I said to him, I want you and your father out of my house right now. And he didn't even wiggle. He didn't even look up at me. I thought he was, I didn't even respond. And so I said it again. And then he said, honey, no one's going anywhere today. And we both laughed out loud because that's sort of what arguments look like between people who know we're going to get this fixed up. Whatever this is, it'll be okay. It'll be okay together. But there's this separation for this moment when I feel separated from David by my own behavior or by his behavior. And then there's this moment of truth that says, I know what it will take for me to fix this with David, for him to fix it with me. This moment of truth. And then the grace and truth come together and we are once again back to where we were. Paul, Jesus talks about the fig tree and he tells us to put the fertilizer around the tree. And, and the tree, the fig tree, will grow. I think grace, truth, and time are the pieces that help us to find change, 
to find healing in our change. His grace, his grace is unmeasured. He will never, never stop extending his grace to you. Did you hear me? It's like the new covenant where he says, I will never to the fifth power, never, 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 never leave you or forsake you. He will never, never, never run dry on the grace he extends. And it's truth. It's, it's given to me that I might know, that I might know what his desires are of me. He took all the truths of the old covenant and he wrapped them all up into what we call the two-step around here. One step, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Second step, love others. It's an easy two-step, but that's the truth that I must know. I must know that and believe that and understand it and know that when I fail, there is unmeasured grace and that he can redeem it. It doesn't matter how long it goes on. Time, not just time, but the time that it takes, the time, the understanding, there is time for all things. The scripture is full of the word time. We want something immediate. That's what we're accustomed to. Give it to me and give it to me now. If it takes too long, I start to thump my foot. It's my cable woman on the other end, and she says to me as they're rebooting my cable, now this will take 15 seconds. And I said to her, do you mean to tell me you have to tell me that because someone actually thinks 15 seconds is too long? And she said, yes. After two or three seconds, people say, well, it isn't working yet. What's happening? Is anything going on? We are a culture of immediacy. This takes time. We are to embrace this truth and this grace, and we are lean into the redemption, change, and growth. It takes grace and truth and time and it's never too late. And as we continue toward the finish line of this time of Lent for 2021 in preparation for the week of weeks and the celebration of the crucifixion, I'm reminded that we are always in a place of being reparented. We're always in a place of being reparented. The most recent reparenting that I myself Real, realized was a part of was when I watched the documentary on Mr. Rogers on Mr. Rogers and I watched it and I felt watching that film that God was using his words his actions his deeds to have another moment of reparenting with me Donna Otto in my 70s being reparented because of the simple truths of grace and truth and I pray that you too will look to these truths for change in your life. Changes that will heal you. Changes that will change you. Changes that will allow you to be a more free person. We are Modern Homemakers and I'm Donna Otto. Remember the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of seeing his grace and truth. <laughs>